It is now 11.30 here at KRVN. Tyler Cavalli along with you on the ninth day of November. Thanks for making us a part of your Monday, wherever you may be listening. Everybody's here. We'll hear from Jason Jorgensen. Can recap of sports from the past weekend? Bob Brogan will talk about stocks. And, boy, those are surging in the right direction. All of that is coming up here in just a few moments. But let's hear from Susan Littlefield. And she'll tell us our featured interviews coming up this afternoon. Well, thanks, Tyler. Here's what's happening on the midday from the farm team. I'll kick everything off at 1219 as I speak with Mike Steenhook. He's with the Soy Transportation Coalition as we look at some recent updates to the lock and dam system. Then at 1245, Alex talks with the National Milk Producers Federation as they recently had a virtual cheese contest. And then Bryce will wrap everything up at 117, talking with Jeff Peterson with Heartland Farm Partners. That's a midday from the farm team. All right. Thank you very much, Susan. Sure appreciate it. We look to those in, forward to those interviews coming up here this uh, in the next couple of hours or so. Uh, let's turn over to sports and Jason Jorgensen. Uh, the Lopers got a W. Huskers not so much. But, uh, boy, UNK, what a terrific day running the football. 514 yards. Uh, they had over 400 at half. I I wasn't for sure how many they were going to end up with. That was a fun game to be a part of and call. So they played Shadron State until the two teams were going at it. Mm-hmm. Even though these kids were in grade school the last time that UNK and Shadron State played, the message had gotten through <laughs> that that was a game that you wanted to win. It was a really nice crowd. The weather Good. was decent. It was a great day in Carney, America. Listen, uh, what, what is the, uh, do I see on Twitter? The rise, rise up yeah, the rise. for UNK, the rise. Well, listen, 2-0. You've beaten uh, two pretty solid teams so far this year. Nothing wrong with Shadron State at all. That That's a nice team. That's a team that if they were in the MIAA, they'd be competitive. Really good. I, I, I believe so. And uh, coming up in sports, we'll hear from T.J. Davis, Lopers quarterback. He is a special kid in a perfect system. He rushed for more than 200 yards, had three touchdowns on the ground. One through the air as the Lopers look good. They will be. Hopefully, cross your fingers. Of course, this year you never assume. But they're supposed to be in Rapid City on Saturday. Hmm. Take care of uh, or take on South Dakota Mines. We'll have that game over on the river and on 106.9. Now, the news wasn't as good for Big Brother as Nebraska went to Northwestern and struggled again. There's a brewing quarterback controversy at some point that Scott Frost will have to address. And the weekly press conference today, I'm sure that'll be brought up. It's a tough loss this past weekend. Uh, many. Many opportunities uh, to get at the W. Should have won the game the first half. Should have. That's what came back and cost them. You had your turnovers, your defense forced, your offense. You can't throw interceptions in the end zone. You just can't do it if you're Nebraska or any program if you're going to come away with a win. But they tried, I suppose. So they'll try again this upcoming Saturday with Penn State uh, favored by three coming in on Saturday. Uh, let's throw over to Bob Broken in the business. Uh, stocks are doing terrific so far. They are doing very well right now. Um, they surged 1,500 points, or about 5.4% in early trading today. Can't remember the last time that happened, uh, but it's happening. And the S&P 500 jumped 3.7% after drug maker Pfizer said early data show that its coronavirus vaccine looks highly effective. And highly effective. Uh, I believe I saw a number of around 90 percent effective so that's not too bad of odds so that's topping the news today in the business world 
Okay, thank you very much. All of that and more coming up. 2020 has been a difficult year for everyone. And now producers turn their attention to next year and what the carryover will be as they set their budgets. On our next Rural Radio Forum, we'll delve into farm financing during the COVID pandemic. To understand the obstacles and strategies for 2021, we'll hear from decision makers across Nebraska. Dustin O'Hanlon of O'Hanlon Seeds in Lexington. Jason Smith of FM Bank in West Point. And Bruce Everly of Robo Bank. It's the Rural Radio Forum, November 17th. 3 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Mountain Time on KRBN. It's 1144 here at KRBN, which means it's time for a regional ag weather update. The man to do the job, it's Paul Perkins stepping back in. And Well, Paul, we had great weather last week and uh, kind of lousy weather to start this week. Yeah, it looks like we're going to pay the price for today, at least for a few days, but... Overall, by the weekend and next week, things are definitely looking up as some warmer and drier air moves into the region. But for right now, we're just going to have to deal with some much colder air moving through. We've seen a big drop in our temperatures. Mm-hmm. This morning, when I first got to work, it was 61 degrees. And once that cold air started to move in, a lot of temperatures dropped about 20 to 25 Oof. degrees within an hour to an hour and a half. <laughs> so it's basically dropped 30 degrees since you stepped in early e- this morning. Exactly. And we still have some very mild temperatures out ahead of this cold front some upper 60s currently in eastern nebraska up to 70 right now at concordia that compares with 22 right now in the nebraska panhandle at alliance nasty uh <laughs> what can you tell us about the winds we had some crazy winds this past weekend are, are we kind of done with that for the near future yeah exactly uh, we should be uh, the winds should be uh, gradually uh, subsiding as we move into tonight and tomorrow the wind's not going to be an issue by tomorrow and no high wind warnings in the forecast for the time being but yeah we did have some high wind gusts in many locations up around 60 miles an hour uh yesterday with those winds that moved through it was so. very noticeable that is for sure if the weather the weather cooperated this past weekend if you didn't have the winds yeah boy i mean it would been perfect out so. exactly that yeah, temperatures were very nice but not the case right now with this system moving through no that is very true but it looks like uh most of the precipitation is moving out at least right now exactly and we could see a little more precipitation as time goes on some of that light rain continues to be scattered about eastern nebraska from about the northeast corner down through columbus to york and lincoln on into northern kansas to around concordia but that is lifting towards the north and northeast temperatures right now in the 20s in the nebraska panhandle a lot of us with temperatures currently in the upper 20s to low 30s especially from west central nebraska on into central portions of the state then from northern kansas in northwest kansas to the tri-city area those temperatures more so in the mid to upper 30s but once again out ahead of this front those temperatures in the 60s in eastern Nebraska and eastern Kansas. Kind of a transition area is Hill City with the temperature right now at 47 degrees and still a lot of clouds. Now we did see some rainfall totals that were pretty decent in a few locations. Up to 6,400s of rain falling in the last 24 hours in the Lexington area and upwards of uh, uh, 1,200s of rain falling in the Ord area and 1,500s in Holdridge. A few other uh, rain totals I've known including uh, 4,200s being reported in the Broken Bow area and just under uh, right at a quarter of an inch of rain falling in Thedford. Now for today we will see the light rain that we are seeing across the area change over to the potential of a rain snow mix as that area of low pressure over Kansas and a cold front track to the east. Temperatures dropping behind the front with winds remaining on the breezy side out of the north but once again not as strong as yesterday. Snow and a wintry mix will remain possible for tonight into tomorrow morning as more cold air mixes in. Snow accumulations not going to be a problem less than an inch with a possible light glaze of ice that could make some spots slick. 
This evening's transition to snow could include some freezing rain with a brief period of some sleep. Now, high pressure moves overhead by tomorrow afternoon for a return to some sunshine and some lighter winds. Despite that sunshine move, moving in, afternoon highs for tomorrow will be still about 10 degrees cooler than normal. Veterans Day through the weekend, mainly dry. Temperatures for Veterans Day through Friday will be slightly below average before they warm to seasonal over the weekend. And in some warmer news in our long-term forecast, there are signs of a building ridge of high pressure across the central U.S. Warmer than normal temperatures overall are very likely for Nebraska, Kansas, and the central and eastern U.S. this weekend through November 22nd. Below normal precipitation also likely this weekend through the 22nd for Nebraska and Kansas on into the central and eastern U.S. Key weather factors impacting the markets include concerns over dry conditions continuing in Argentina and key major international wheat areas. Here in the U.S., a strong cold front edging its way to the east, generating widespread precipitation across the eastern half of the U.S. over the next few days. Parts of the upper Midwest could see the liquid equivalent of precipitation totaling one to two inches, while accumulating snow will be possible tomorrow in the upper Great Lakes. Cool and dry air will overspread the nation's midsection. The southwestern plains will continue to be mainly dry the next seven days where moisture is needed for wheat development just ahead of dormancy. The eastern southern plains will once again see heavier amounts of precipitation. Argentina crop areas will not see any meaningful easing of their soil moisture concerns with only light rain in the forecast the next seven days. Soil moisture is an especially short supply for north and west crop areas of Argentina. The wheat areas of Russia expect only scattered light showers this upcoming week. Over the past three months, the rain totals at well less than half the long-term average. Wheat in the Black Sea region still likely to go into dormancy with soil moisture deficits. So we're going to see a little bit of snow maybe tonight into tomorrow morning, but really shouldn't amount to be too much. Exactly. Uh, less than an inch is what the amount is expected all across the area. And maybe some slick spots if we get a little of that wintry precipitation, especially when it freezes, uh, when those temperatures do get into the 20s for tonight. Slick spots tonight, tomorrow on your commute to, for, uh, to school or work? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, there is that potential. But overall, you know, this I'm guessing the pavement's pretty warm right now with sure. the warm temperatures that we've had, so it shouldn't be too big of a problem. No winter weather advisories in effect. Okay. Well, that's good news. Uh, for more weather information, to see the whole forecast, where, they can, where can they find it at? Weather page, krvn.com. Thank you very much, Paul. District. Some recent upgrades to the lock and dan systems is bringing good news, even for growers west of the Mississippi. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Mike Steenhook is Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Well, fortunately, the the export facilities uh, down in the lower Mississippi River, they, they are accustomed to responding to hurricanes and taking precautions to, to guard against any kind of damage. Thus far, uh, the 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 consequences of this very active hurricane season in the Gulf of Mexico, five named storms that have arrived along the Louisiana coastline in 2020. It's really been confined to temporary shutdowns, um, minimal damage, um, you know, power outages and those kind of things. And that's, that's really good news because uh, one of the things that we're, we in agriculture are very pleased to see is a really healthy resumption of export activity uh, for soybeans, particularly to China. And there hasn't been a lot of good news in agriculture the last couple of years. And 
to be able to see this robust volume of, of export demand is really coming at an opportune time for farmers. So because of that, we want to really make sure that our supply chain is well positioned to accommodate all of that volume in the lower Mississippi River with all of these export facilities by New Orleans. It accounts for 60% of soybean exports, 57% of corn exports. So it, that area is really integral to our ability to be able to meet that export demand. And so we're, we're happy that there's been limited damage. But, you know, every time a named storm materializes in the Gulf of Mexico, appropriately uh, express concern for that because so much of our export activity is indeed concentrated in that area. Some good news is coming for soybean and just grain exports in general. We know that uh, it seems like every time we t- you and I talk, we talk about the excitement of the possibility of some rehabilitation going on in some of the locks and dams and where they are in the process. And it sounds like we're, we're really starting to see some work, especially on the Illinois River. Yeah, you know, I'll be the first to admit that uh, the the continual... Uh, call and and encouragement for investing in locks and dams, it can sound like a broken record. It's something that agriculture, that the barge industry and others have been expressing for a number of years. And there have been um, occasions where there hasn't been a lot of response from the federal government to make these needed investments. But there is this is an example with the Illinois River where all of these entities, all of these stakeholders have continued to express this need with rehabilitation work on some of these locks and dams on the Illinois River. The Congress has responded by providing funding. The Army Corps of Engineers has proceeded with doing the work. And so as a result, the, the Corps of Engineers uh, has been able to do major rehabilitation work on five of the eight locks and dams along the Illinois River, the five locations that are closest to the Mississippi River, which is a significant conduit for soybeans, for corn, for a variety of other other commodities. That's Mike Steenhook with the Soy Transportation Coalition. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports. Here's Jason. Hey, thanks, Tyler. Two teams desperately in need of a win. Score off this Saturday as Nebraska hosts Penn State. Kickoff is set for 11, and we will bring you that game right here on 880-KRVN. The Big 12 Conference and Fox Sports announced this morning that K-State's November 21st game at Iowa State will kick off at 3, and that will be televised by Fox. Sophomore quarterback T.J. Davis ran for three more scores and directed an offense that churned out 541 yards on the ground as the Lopers held off Shadron State 45-35. to And Davis says he knew this game would be tight. I wouldn't say surprised. I mean, they're a good football team. And that's one of the things that we pride ourselves, that we're a good football team. So, um, option, that's our, that's our scheme. We practice that. So, I think that it's not... It's not about what they're doing, it's about how we execute. Just all being said that as long as we execute, I feel like uh, everything will go our way. Davis rushed for more than 200 yards as the Lopers improved to 2-0 and on the year. They're scheduled to travel to South Dakota Mines this weekend. We'll bring you that game on 93.1 The River 
and 106.9 in Kearney. Well, Lexington's Jake Leger has decided to accept a scholarship offer to play baseball in the future at Alabama. Crimson Tide contacted him a couple of weeks back, and he gives his reasons for making the decision. Well, one thing was I really wanted to kind of go play down south, if at all possible, so that kind of helped. Also, just them being in the SEC, I mean, that's the best amateur baseball in the world, so they don't want to pass up on an opportunity like that. Leger had numerous offers from a number of top-flight D1 schools. He currently is enrolled at Iowa Western Community College, where he will complete the school year and the season next spring before joining the Crimson Tide for 2021. And the Tri-City Storm opened up the USHL regular season with a convincing 5-1 win on the road over Sioux City on Saturday. The Storm now look ahead to a three-game weekend that includes their home opener on Saturday. That's sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Twenty twenty has been a difficult year for everyone, and now producers turn their attention to next year and what the carryover will be as they set their budgets. On our next Rural Radio Forum, we'll delve into farm financing during the COVID pandemic. To understand the obstacles and strategies for twenty twenty one, we'll hear from decision makers across Nebraska: Dustin O'Hanlon of O'Hanlon Seeds in Lexington, Jason Smith of F and M Bank in West Point, and Bruce Everly of Robo Bank. It's the Rural Radio Forum, November seventeenth, three p.m. Central, two p.m. Mountain Time, on KRB. It is time for Midday News here at KRVN. Alan Simmons has now stepped in. And how was this past weekend for you? It was good, even though it was windy, but it was all right. You at least had warmer temperatures, yeah. even though uh, you had to hold on to your hat yeah. or your jacket if you needed one. It was very blustery, that's for sure. Well, we, uh, we're still seeing a lot of COVID cases here in the area, not just our listing area, but uh, across Nebraska, Kansas, and Colorado. And I know that's our top story today. So Loop Basin Public Health Department reported 243 new COVID cases in the last two weeks. Loop Basin has seen a total of 786 COVID-19 cases total as of Friday, November 6, 2020. The total of active cases by county in the Loop Basin Public Health Department include Blaine 2, Custer 74, Garfield 22, Greeley 9, Howard 40, Loop 2, Sherman 22, Valley 16, and Wheeler 2. For the state of Nebraska scope of the coronavirus, the number of people hospitalized with the virus in Nebraska continues to increase steadily. The state said another new record was set Sunday when 794 were hospitalized with COVID-19. The number has more than doubled over the past three weeks as cases continue to surge in the state. Nebraska reported 1,574 new cases Sunday to give the state 83,969 total cases since the pandemic began. The state's online virus tracker said the number of deaths linked to the virus remained unchanged at 703 Sunday. The rate of new virus cases in the state remained the seventh highest in the nation on Sunday. Trilby Lundberg, publisher of the Lundberg Survey, which tracks gas prices, says it's a buyer's market. The average price of gasoline fell three cents in the price two weeks, and the average is now two nineteen. That's fifty cents lower than it was a year ago, but apparently not nearly enough to inspire a lot of motorists to hit the road. Demand is very weak. Lundberg says there is a bigger surplus of supply over demand. 
than the U.S. saw last month. The current average price of regular unleaded in Nebraska is $2.05, according to AAA. And finally, Iowa casino f- officials worry they will be they will lose business when several Nebraska casinos open now that voters in the state have approved gambling. Iowa officials said they worry that when casinos are built in Omaha and Lincoln, they would hurt Iowa gaming revenues, especially in Council Bluffs, where four casinos currently operate. Other Iowa border towns with casinos include Sioux, Sioux City, Anawa, and Sloan. Wes Eric. President of the Iowa Gaming Association said the de- the development of casinos in Nebraska could be another blow to Iowa casinos already reeling from the effects of the coronavirus pandemic. You can find more news at krvn.com. Thank you very much, Ellen. A cheese contest gone virtual. I'm Alex Wojcicki reporting on the Rural Radio Network. And today we're joined by two guests with the National Milk Producers Federation to learn a little bit more about their national virtual cheese contest. We're joined by Jamie Jonker, who is the Vice President of Sustainability and Scientific Affairs, and also Michaela Hanselman, who is the Manager of Regulatory Affairs. So, Jamie, we'll start this conversation with you. Before we came on air, you mentioned that you had over 15 years of experience with the Federation and the cheese contest. So, I guess, give us an idea of what this cheese contest is all about and what it typically looks like in a normal year. Great question, Alex. Um, The National Milk Producers Federation annual cheese contest has been done for more than four decades. Um, It started out um, in the early years to provide feedback to uh, our dairy cooperative cheesemakers when they were struggling with the quality of their cheese. But it's been transformed in that time period over the past 40 plus years of being really like a premier cheese contest in the United States. In a typical year, we will get uh, around 250 entries in uh, 20 classes, uh, and that's about 3,000 pounds of cheese that's uh, judged by four judges, cheese uh, experts that come from all around the country to, to uh, do the judging and scoring. And then we have a great big cheese reception at our annual meeting that features the award-winning cheeses. Uh, so that's a typical year. So, Michaela, obviously you guys couldn't hold it like that this year. So what sort of things did your team have to end up changing, and what did it ultimately end up looking like? So back in June, I think it was Jamie and I started talking to each other about how the cheese contest might be able to happen this year with everything going on. Um, so Jamie and I were like, well, we can try to do a virtual one. Um, so basically, we had to work with the judges to see if they would have, be able to have the cheese shipped directly to them because normally we're all in one place. So that was our first hurdle. And then we had to make sure they had enough space to refrigerate the cheeses. And luckily, they each were in places that were generous enough to donate that space. So I want, um, so that was Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin, California Dairies and Turlock, and the College of DuPage. Um, so once we got that figured out, Jamie and I were talking, and we're like, well, we usually get a lot of cheese, and that's going to be a lot for the judges to handle. So um, we downsized the amount that uh, the co-ops would send to us. So usually they could send basically as much as they wanted within a reasonable amount. And so this time we just let them send five-pound blocks and then two up to two pounds of cottage cheese to keep it manageable 
honestly, five pounds of cheese is a lot more than you think. Like the big box, I think, is only two. And I was like, oh, wow, that's still a lot of cheese. Um, so that was the other thing. And the co-ops were really great in following the guidelines we set out because there were so many changes. And then the um, last part was just making sure the co-op sent the cheese to the right judge. So we uh, split up the classes to each judge, and then the co-ops just had to follow which class the cheese would be in and send it to that judge. A lot of logistics to go into that, it sounds like. Jamie, let's bounce it back to you. This probably was a logistical nightmare for you guys to figure out for a little while at least, but I mean, in the long run, this is something that is so important to dairy producers and cheesemakers across the country. Yeah, you know, back in June when we were when we understood we probably weren't going to have an in-person annual meeting and not have an in-person contest, um, we were thinking about, well, what does this mean for the contest? Because it is so important for our dairy co-ops or dairy farmers that supply the milk to the cheese plants and the cheesemakers. Uh, and, and that was really the impetus for, for us figuring out, well, how can we make this work virtually? Um, we felt that in a period where things are way unnormal compared to most years, we wanted to have a little bit of normalcy for our cooperatives and farmers and our cheesemakers. And uh, if we didn't talk about what we did, very few people would understand how different the cheese contest was this year compared to other years. And I think that's a testament to, to you know, what we were able to do with our cheese judges, the three locations that donated space, uh, and our cooperatives and cheesemakers um, working in this kind of new environment. Uh, and we pulled it off. I think it was a huge success. We had 190 entries across 19 categories this year. So just a little bit smaller than a normal year, um, but we actually did limit the number of entries as well as the size of entries. And so we, we were targeting for about 180 entries. We got about 190. So um, we still had a top-notch contest. And the cheeses that won are, are simply amazing. At least that's what the cheese judges tell us because uh, staff weren't on site to do a sample them with them. Okay, so Michaela, um, Nebraskans love cheese. I wouldn't say we're a, a leader in cheese production by any means. We have a handful of um, producers who make cheese, but what are some of the things that those judges were looking for, and who were some of the big winners, if you will? Yeah, so each judge kind of has a scorecard for the different classes of cheese. So that comes down to body and texture, taste, of course, um, the salt level in the cheese, and also the overall appearance. Um, and then they kind of break down the cheese using that scorecard to keep things consistent throughout. Um, so this year, actually, we um, added in almost like a second place award because there were two really great cheeses that we wanted to acknowledge. So our big award is the Chairman's Award, and the Associated Milk Producers won that with their aged Asiago, which is out of the plant in Hoven, South Dakota. And then the award we added in, the Chairman's Reserve, was taken by select milk producers in Monticello, Wisconsin, with their smoked Gouda. So those were the two big winners, um, which were, we were told, both really great cheeses. All right, awesome information. I think that's a really great place to end part one of this conversation. Uh, join us tomorrow for part two. We're going to dive into the future of the U.S. dairy industry and how this cheese contest kind of plays a role in that. So uh, for now, that's Jamie Junker and Michaela Hanselman with the National Milk Producers Federation broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.
Shapiro. With the Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. Stocks are surging, catapulting Wall Street back to record heights on a burst of hope following encouraging data about a potential COVID-19 vaccine. The S&P 500 jumped 3% in afternoon trading and is on track to close at a record for the first time in more than two months. Markets around the world are already climbing before the encouraging early data on Pfizer's potential vaccine on relief that the limbo created by the long market bruising battle for the White House was finally clearing. Pfizer says an early peek at its vaccine data suggests the shots may be 90% effective at preventing COVID-19. Today's announcement doesn't mean a vaccine is imminent. The interim analysis from independent data monitors looked at 94 infections recorded so far in a study that has enrolled nearly 44,000 people. Pfizer did not provide any more details about those cases and cautioned the initial protection rate might change by the time the study ends. General Motors is recalling more than 217,000 vehicles in the U.S. and Canada because transmission oil can leak, causing them to stop or catch fire. The recall covers certain versions of the 2018 through 2020 Chevrolet Equinox and Traverse, as well as the GMC Terrain. Also included are the 2018 Chevrolet Malibu and 2018 and 2019 Chevrolet Cruze and Buick LaCrosse, as well as the 2019 through 2020 Buick Encore and Enclave, the Cadillac XT4, GMC Acadia, and Chevrolet Blazer. McDonald's U.S. sales came roaring back in the third quarter, amped up by the introduction of spicy chicken nuggets and a meal deal promotion with rapper Travis Scott. But sales elsewhere remained lower than a year ago, and McDonald's says a resurgence of coronavirus cases in key markets like France, Germany, and the United Kingdom could force dining room closures and other restrictions. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. Get on the Rural Radio Network, broadcasting today from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which of course is being brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. We continue our video series on RuralRadio.com, where we break down the markets with Jeff Peterson. He's the president of Heartland Farm Partners. In this audio version, we chat with Jeff about what are some of the factors influencing the commodity market trade this week. And I first asked him about the upcoming WASDE report set to be released this Wednesday. The WASDE report's going to be a big one. You know, as we take a look at that, I think the number they're really going to be focusing on is the ending stocks. I, I think everybody believes that we'll see a little bit of reduction in yield. The big unknown is what's going to happen to exports. And exports look like they're going to go up. The ending stock number, and this is according to the Dow Jones survey, there's lots of different surveys out there, is looking for 239 million bushels of ending stocks. That compares to 290 million, so that's down 51 million. The stocks are getting tight on the soybeans price. Well, as we look at this week, uh, over the weekend, we saw that President-elect Joe Biden uh, is now uh, giving some speeches. President Trump has not yet conceded, but it seems like the projection is that we'll have a new president come January 20th. What is that going to do, particularly you and I were discussing the phase one agreement with China? How much is riding on a presidency there, and will we see China continue to buy corn and soybeans as we move forward? Well, that's that's a great question, because one of the items, and, and it's probably no surprise to hear that they want to renegotiate the phase one deal. What we don't know, though, is that within the phase one deal, we're not sure how much um, really teeth there was if they weren't performing. And, and personally, I think, Bryce, a lot of what the purchases have been has been a real need that they've had. I don't think they were cons- that concerned about trying to fulfill the phase one trade 
agreement. However, if we take that in mind, they might try to play some games now to try to go ahead and get the market to walk back down. But you know, the market's really strong right now. I have to also think that, uh, that people are, like yourself are watching closely what's going on in South America. What are you seeing in terms of their crop right now? It's really interesting. You know, Mato Grosso, which would be you know their big soybean producing state, um, it looked like they were doing pretty well. And then I saw some stuff over the weekend that shows the western part of that area actually some soybeans struggling. Some soybeans been planted 20 days and aren't up yet because it's too dry. So overall, I'd say we've got a dryness issue down there. I think longer term, the big concern is going to be Argentina, and Argentina does look like it's going to see some drier conditions still. So, you know, they got to get planted. And just to kind of reinforce that, Bryce, uh, last week, Buenos Aires Grain Exchange actually already, before the crop was planted, started reducing their soybean crop down there. So that's, that's an area that we're going to have to watch really close. Hmm. Plenty of things to watch as we enter another new week, and that's just three of the, the factors. There's many of them ingrained in there. But as we continue this conversation, Jeff, I want to break down a commonly used term, and that's uh, commitments of traders. It's a report that comes out weekly. Tell us about what's going on here. You bet. With the commitment of trade report, uh, abbreviated the COT report, it's uh, put together by the CFTC, the Commodity Futures Trade Commission. In really um, simplest terms, it's, it's a way to track basically the the big money, the managed money, the speculative traders, you know, what size of positions they have on. And and it comes out every Friday, and when it comes out on Friday at three o'clock, it actually goes through um, the previous Tuesday. So that's that's when it's reported. And what there is is that within that report, they're trying to determine what's the, the positions that people own or the positions that they've sold and are short. And so what we look at is we look at what's called the disaggregated report, and that gives us the most detail. And in particular, we look at it for the managed money. And within that, then we look at the, both the futures and the option side. And when they report on that, what we can do is we can get a feel is that does the big money, are they buying, thinking the market's going to go higher, or are they selling, thinking the market's going to go lower. That's Jeff Peterson, president of Heartland Farm Partners, and I'm Bryce Tuskett reporting on the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network. Let's check in with John Payne, uh, Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago. He's publisher of the Daily Newsletter this week in Grain. And, John, looking across here, cold front sweeping across much of the Midwest, but it's not putting a damper on these grain prices. Corn and soybeans settle higher. Yeah, strong basis. So mid-morning, uh, again, I'm not saying this is bullish or bearish. It's just is. I'm hearing reports on the Mississippi River that they're having a hard time getting barges for whatever reason. You know, if something was closed somewhere in one part of the river and they can't get barges, I got clients in Tennessee telling me that on the Mississippi River and then all the way up to, like, Quincy, Illinois. So take that for what it is. You know, on one case, I, I think, you know, it's bullish given, you know, export prices aren't going to come down. If there's no supply there to meet it, probably go up. On the other side, folks, you know, aren't there's no bid there right now. So uh, I, I don't know. I think at this point in time, to survive the weekend, the early break, and everything else rallied, I think it's a good sign. I do think it's a good sign it didn't rally on the coronavirus or the, uh, the uh, I'm drawing a blank, the uh, vaccine news, uh, just because, you know, that's going to be back and forth as time goes on. So a good solid update today is good to see. It was positive to see that today, though. Was we showing us some of the early signs having a little bit more action as we see some profit taking in that U.S. dollar and it slowly making a move higher? Yeah, and I think, you know, this. There's wheat to sell globally here, and I think you're going to see money be raised off wheat prices. I don't think you're going to see some huge break until we we get a figure on who wins this election. That'll move the currency. Um, you know, if you're a believer in Trump, Trump's going to win, then 
you would be probably buying the dollar here, which would be very difficult to think to buy a market like wheat. I think soybeans are trading on their own dynamics, um, but so much is, is hinging on, um, you know, on the election results. Um, I know things, you know, seem certain when you look in the media, but it, I, I'm myself am, am very confused as far as how to trade it. So sometimes it's just kind of paralyzed and get out of the market, and that's what I think you're seeing too on wheat. Going forward, we got the Wazoo tomorrow. Any early comments on it? Should be bullish corn. I would imagine, at least from the supply side, both StoneX, Informa, uh, and a bunch of other private agencies on the satellite side have dropped it. You know, they're below where the USDA is. So, you know, I expect maybe a 175 number, which would be good for corn, and anywhere on 50 for beans would be bullish. And then the inside picks up a little bit, which I think is possible for soybeans given the record crush. Um, you know, corn does fight that ethanol kind of. Mount. So we might see the carryover stay near too, but at this point in time, it's, it's, the base is strong. And the news that I mentioned at the start of this might be the deciding factor here as we go into December. And again, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter this week in Grain More, DanielZagMarketing.com. Do remember, train futures and options involve risk of loss. Thank you very much, Clay. That will wrap up this Monday edition of Midday. You can listen to the Midday podcast sponsored by Devaney Motors. That can be found on iTunes or krbn.com.